You're listening to Man Meat Barbecue, the podcast, with your host, Mikey K. Our sponsors are Manbecue and Myron Mix and Smokers. If you don't know who Manbecue is, you better check it out. They're one of the coolest things in barbecue around. We do a meetup on the last Thursday of every single month. Let us take over your backyard. Let's see how much fun we can have. Looking for a new cooker? Look no further than the American-made Myron Mix and Smokers. Maybe you're a backyard enthusiast. Maybe you're a restaurant owner. Maybe you're looking to get into the catering game. They can accommodate it all. So make sure you go over to MyronMixAndSmokers.com and check out your next rig. And when you email them, tell them Mikey from Man Meat Barbecue sent you. So let's not waste any more time and let's get into this fucking podcast. Today, which I think, if I'm not wrong, I could be wrong, but I think you are our first gentleman from Boston. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm completely right. But we've done a couple of these podcasts in the in the past. Um, some of you people have listened to some of them, I think. But um, we we're going to Boston, which Boston's not known for barbecue, but hey, we're going to Boston because that's what we do. We are chatting with. Benny on the block, which is a total Boston, total Boston word. So it's, I I love it. I I really do love it. Um, You, you do a lot of cool stuff. You enjoy cooking and it's not just barbecue. You kind of enjoy cooking as a whole, which I think is really cool. So Ben, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, hanging out with us and chatting barbecue and chatting food. Cause I'm sure we're going to get away a little bit from, from just straight barbecue, but man, I want to say thank you for coming on. If you can do us a favor, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. And and totally. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I think, uh, for me, like, like you said, like, you know, I love to barbecue, but I also love to, to really cook as a whole. I think, you know, as much as I love to cook and love to think that I'm, I'm good at cooking for me, it's also something that is like very much a, a learning based thing and, uh, you know, a source of kind of experimentation and playing around with flavors and stuff. Um, so, you know, basically I kind of, I love to cook on different levels, but for me, one of the big things is like generally, right. I kind of have like right now I'm in a little sabbatical period between, between jobs and I've been doing a lot of cooking. And for me, it's like a window to kind of do fun stuff and like adventure. And I think you know, I always come back to that and, and why, like, I love to cook and um, outside of cooking, right, like fishing, something I love to do. I think I have a lot of things in my life that I like to do that are kind of all, like, ultimately come back to cooking, right? Because for me, like, I, as much as I love to fish, part of me loves to uh, fish because it's an excuse for me to get out there and get some fresh fish or um, different things like that. But, uh, you know, we can get into it more later, but hopefully that gives you a, a little bit of an understanding of kind of where I come from and, and why I like to cook. So what kind of struck that passion of cooking? Like, would you say a lot of, you know, some people are like, listen, I was cooking with my grandma. I was cooking with my mom, you know, being in the kitchen with my dad, like what kind of struck that love for cooking? Yeah, totally. I think for me, like it, it really started when I was young. I grew up in a household where like cooking was always going on, whether it was usually my dad in the kitchen, but my mom all the time helping out too. And so for me, it was something that like I got to see a lot and, you know, family meals were always something that were centered, you know, in my house. And that's really, I think what like initially opened my eyes to cooking is like just kind of seeing that happen in the kitchen and obviously, you know, loving to eat, but also like I was fortunate to go to like, you know, a high school where they offered like 
a cooking program in addition to normal classes, which was like, you know, super interesting for someone that like myself, where like not always loving being in the classroom and having that ability to go cook was interesting. And so I think like it kind of evolved over a number of years. I just seeing cooking happen and, and getting to kind of slowly like learn to love and appreciate food. I think my dad was a huge influence in that and kind of teaching me about, you know, good ingredients and good cooking and, uh, it really kind of just like evolved from there. I think. Um, so. I think. I think a lot of people, like you said, you know, the the involvement ev- of, you know, knowing what you enjoyed and, like you saying, like you having it having it in high school, kind of kind of really helped a lot of people. And I don't think it, it's as available anymore. I don't think too many schools do that, and it's kind of terrifying to me. Because you talk, I talk to a lot of younger people, and I'm like, "Hey, why don't you just cook this?" And they're like, "I don't want to cook." Yeah, no, like, totally. but I love eating. I love eating, bro. I I gotta uh-huh. make. I'm the best food critic, but I can't fucking cook. Yeah, no, I I agree. I but I think one of the other things, like right, like with the whole like the high school thing, like beyond that too, is I think the, the thing that I run into a lot also is with friends, like when they don't know how to cook. It's like a lot of people I also think just doubt kind of themselves too much as far as they're like. I can't cook this. It's like, well, trust me, half the time I'm doing stuff, it's like the first time I've done it or, you know, a new type of like cooking technique I'm trying or something like that. And half the time I don't know what I'm doing. Granted, like I have some experience, like I can kind of maybe do it better. But like, you know, for me, it's cooking, like I said earlier, it's kind of like experimenting. And like, I think like one big thing that I try to tell people is always like, yeah, it's like whatever, wing it. Like if it doesn't come out well, like who cares? You've made it for yourself. Like, you know. Don't try doing something your first time for a huge group of people. But, you know, like I think there's that – like you said, there's that – people are like really – I think there's like a an element that I've noticed where people are like almost hesitant to get into cooking, uh, into cooking or get in the kitchen because they're like afraid of that failure element, which for me is like, sure, I don't like to fuck things up. But like there's plenty of times when it, when it happens because, you know, I'm trying something new or whatnot. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah, totally. And that, that's the big thing. It's like, dude, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. Like maybe it didn't come out like the exact way that, that you thought it was going to come out, but there's some amazing food that I find that like I'll cook and it's like I'm cooking it for the first time and maybe it didn't come out spot on, but I was close. So then it's I'm close to that. So what's the next, you know, let let's cook it again and let's try to figure out how to get it closer. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, like, I was – I studied, like, science in college, and so I think it's probably, like, a little a scientist in me. I almost, like, love that element of it where it's, like, you know, I'll do stuff, like, two or three times in a row sometimes, like, after my first time cooking it because I just – I have this vision of what I kind of want it to taste like, and it's playing around with, you know, cook time or different, you know, ratios of ingredients to try to get it to where, like, you know, I'm hoping it can be. I think a big part of that, like – the cook time and like kind of where you want it to be. I think that's a big part of like cooking is, is getting, getting to know how long something actually needs to cook properly and knowing that you're doing a good job at that and you're not, um, you're kind of winging it at usually like the first time if you're not going off a recipe. Um, I'm, I am a bad human at doing this. I like to see a photograph and then I want to recreate it. Um, I don't necessarily always go to a recipe 
And yeah. I know, like, I'm sure chefs scream at me. They're like, why don't you just read the fucking recipe? Like, it's so much easier. Like, I want to see if I can recreate that from just the visual aspect of it. Yeah. That's, is that see, like that's... a weird thing? Like, I don't know. Like, is that, no, like is that, that. resonating that's... with you? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think you're probably a little more on the extreme end. Like, for me, like, what I'll do is I often, like, when I want to cook something new... I'll read I just, the ingredients. I'll give you that. I'll read all the ingredients. Yeah, like that's what I'll exactly like. That's what I'll do, and like then at that point, like it depends if I'm doing something totally like out on a limb. Maybe I'm gonna look into the recipe a little more. But like you know, last week I cooked something that I this this dish. It's like kind of it's like pasta with broccoli rob and sausage and some chili chili flakes, and it's like a simple dish. And I'd never done it before, but I just kind of. I've had it and I liked it and I looked up the ingredients and like, what do they use? And just, you know, winged it and it worked and then like tweaked it from there. But yeah, I like the, the picture thing. That's interesting, but I, I'm totally on board with that. I, I think for me, like cook, like I definitely love to kind of like when I cook, it's like feeling the cooking and just like, um, yeah, I'm terrible. Like, res- like it's funny you mentioned that cause I'm so bad with recipes anyways. Like I hate measuring. Like I think for, for me cooking, like I love the element of like how it's, like you just get to kind of do, do you like, add, like if you feel it needs more of this, you add it. Like, that's why I always tell people like, Oh, can you bake? And I'm like, no, I suck at baking. No, it's the same thing too. It's like, you know, once that thing's in the oven, you're done. You better hope you did it right. <laughs> but baking, I, I feel like baking is so much more. If you put too much of this, it's going to come out like shit. If yeah, you absolutely. put too much of this, it's going to come out like shit. For me, it's like I want to be able to kind of play around with shit. Yeah. No, right? I, I agree. Totally. And I think it helps you learn too because like, you know, sometimes like you add add one thing and it's like that's not what I'm looking for. And then you add another thing and it's like, ooh, like adding that little bit of like acid really kind of made this taste that much better. And then – you know, that's something that like you learn and you apply to like different recipes, right? Like when you find yourself in that same sort of position. And yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Like you kind of, you're starting to learn the different, um, components of what, what food actually does and what, what seasonings actually do. And I think what some people tend to mess up with and tend to, um, kind of almost like fuck with too much is the, um, the uh, amount of ingredients that they try to put into a dish to make it more, either more complex or more complicated. Yeah. And they're like, man, it's, you know, I use this, 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 this. And it's like, eventually some of that shit is starting to like cross each other out. Turns. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you just need some more basic stuff. Like if yeah, you totally. if you're doing no. a bunch of spice mixtures and it's yeah. not coming together and you're like, you know, you're seasoning, 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 and you're like, no, it just needs more paprika. No, it needs just needs more of this. It just needs more cayenne. It just needs that. Nine times out of ten, it just needs more salt. Dude, yes. <laughs> Literally that's like when in doubt, like if something doesn't taste right, like I'm always just like yeah, let's add a little more salt. And then like next thing you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, okay. Well, that it's because works. salt brings out all the other seasonings. It, exactly. It, it elevates everything else. And that's what I think people 
like when they start mixing, they're like, "This isn't right. It needs this. It needs that. Oh, it needs that. No, it just needs more salt. It's so much, it's so much more basic." And they're like, "It can't be that basic." <laughs> yes, it can. yeah, dude, salt's magical. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, Little, it is. It is magical. Favorite answer right there. And it, it, I think it that takes a very long time to real to if you're not tr- if you're not classically trained or you're not a you're not a chef. You're not. You didn't go to culinary school. That takes very, very long time. Uh, I think it takes a very, very long time to learn. Yeah, and I think a lot of people want to mess with all those other flavors, not realizing salt's all you need. Yeah, no, I I agree. I also think it's probably because right, like I don't know if I'd say there's like a stigma around salt, but you know, I definitely know like you know you see like low sodium and like people def there's definitely like you know people out there that are very kind of conscientious of salt intake and like, or their parents that were like that. And so they're like, you know, hypercritical of the salt amount. So like people don't think about like salt gives you like flavor, you know, or enhances those flavors. Yep. It does. It does. There's a reason why people are, you know, trying to reduce salt use, but you know, it's also got its good stuff too. But you're also not like, you're not using a ton of yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's you're not, not like you're sucking eating on block. salt blocks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would agree with that. It 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 is. I feel I feel like it's just sometimes people overanalyze it, overthink it, and then when you get to the you know when you get to the end of the end of the road, it's like man, all I needed to do was add more salt instead of throwing you know more cayenne, more more onion powder, more chili powder. It's like you're just you're just battling. At that point, and you're trying to elevate, but you're battling yourself. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally, I totally get that, and I, I, I agree. Like, I think uh, it's something that it, that like it, you know, it wasn't really until like a year, a couple years ago that I really started to pay attention, like really meaningfully, like noticed, like, oh, this tastes not right. Like, it was like gotta add some salt to that rather than you know sitting there pondering why like it it didn't taste right so what are you cooking on now what what are what are your what are your main cookers right now yeah so right honestly what i do i have a weber and the old school weber kettle what a badass cooker yeah that i love and then um my dad owns a green egg so like He's kind of the boss man on that thing. So I'll go out. I live in, like I said, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I live in the North End in Boston. My parents live kind of like a short drive out of the city. So, you know, sometimes if I want to cook for a group of people or want to, like, cook something on the smoker with my dad or whatever, like, I'll go out there and use the egg with him. But I'm with, when it comes to the egg, like, I'm definitely a novice on that. I think the Weber, like, I love to cook on. And then, you know, when it's, like, the summertime and stuff, like, I just do a lot of, like, you know, if I'm on the beach, like I'll dig pits and have like bonfires and cook over those, or like uh, you haven't gotten in like, trouble for that. No, I haven't. Are you asking if I have? Yeah. No, no, but I get in trouble all the time grilling in the North End. I have neighbors that call the fire department on me like almost every time I grill. It's wild. Oh, it's see, totally legal. But I, I've never had. I I can just see like on the beach. I can see like people in Chicago being like a dick about it yeah no so this is like kind of like these are i'll find like i'll use like parts of beef like i'm not just on like some like 
big ass crowded public beach that's got like a lot of people or like like i'll try to fi- like i'll have i'll find spots that like they're like you know far more secluded or like a friend has a house that's on the water and i'll go cook in front of that that's awesome or you know i think like and i'm doing it not like oftentimes during the day it was funny though the first time i cooked on the water and i was like rushing to finish a, co- a big cook i had like two fire pits i basically had like created this sequence of like one pit that I had burning like a ton of wood that led into another pit that I would kind of bring some of the lit logs and then a third pit, which was for like ashes that I had some stuff going slowly in the ashes. And I'll never forget trying to like, this is the first time I did a really big cook and it like took longer than I thought. And it essentially came down to like me racing the tide to get the, uh, (laughs) rail before the tide like broke down the fireplace and like, or the like the pits and like, I had one of my my buddies like building a a wall like and like a moat. It was hilarious, absolute cluster. You're just running around trying to like funnel water. So, yeah, so yeah, we know. did. It, it works. But I think that's like for me. Like I kind of like that sometimes. Like run and gun style cooking. Like um, it kind of goes in hand with like when we were talking earlier, right? Like. I have a hard time like using recipes or that sort of stuff. It's kind of like just uh, for me, like I love to cook and just like kind of do it. And sometimes usually like I'm at a point now where it works out well, but <laughs> sometimes it doesn't like that beach exercise could have uh, ended not too, too well. That tide was moving a little faster or it I was could, moving. Slower. It, it could be not pretty, you know, you know, sometimes that's also one of the things like when you're cooking something for the first time, that I, I, I find that it, it um it can happen is you you underestimate the amount of time that that, that item is going to cook mm-hmm. and you're doing it and then you're like uh yeah so dinner's gonna be in like an hour yeah yeah and then they're like in an hour they're like oh cool when's dinner and you're like in about an hour. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I totally feel that. That's why I love to cook too for people that are like, sometimes if I'm doing something new and a lot of it, I, you know, do it with people that I like kind of know and trust and know aren't going to give me too much shit if things are taking their time. If they, if they might, if they might take a minute or two longer. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's uh, but yeah, no, I mean, cause especially like when you cook, like for me, like something I've been doing a lot more of and like, you know, learning about is kind of like the whole, just like trying to cook like with, you know, like straight, like, fu- like over fires, like, like big, you know, like kind of like bonfire type, like open live fire cooking and like beautiful slow cook. Like, I don't like, I don't know if like kind of in like, you know, parts of, um, South America, like where they yeah, cook absolutely. like lambs, like straight up, like over Iron crosses and all that shit. Uh, yeah. It looks like a crucifixion or something. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's a fucking iron cross. It's what it is. Right. And that's fantastic, and you can you can make some delicious, delicious things that way. Um, it, it you are controlling that heat by placing your meat a certain distance from the from the heat source, right? And then yep. that that's that's what's your uh, temperature control, basically. Exactly. So, um, it, it's a it, it's a much much harder skill to hone. Oh, totally. Much, I mean, much like harder skill. Yeah, no, because, right, like, in that, it's one thing, like, you know, and this isn't meant to, like, demean smoking or anything, right? But it's, like, you have, like, your nice egg where it's controlled environment, like, 
granted, like, you know, the wind direction can change and kind of you start getting a lot more wind blown through your vents or whatever. There's all sorts of stuff. And cooking on the green egg is definitely, you know, it takes a lot of time to learn how to do that. But I think like when you're outside, it's like there's crit. It's kind of, you know, the wind is like on another level. It was interesting because I was just when I was in uh, I was in Chile uh, in Patagonia and like and they do a lot of I mean, that's that's very big down there. Yeah, especially because, like, everyone has a farm and everyone has, like, you know, a shitload of sheep. And so they eat so much lamb down there. Um, And, you know, it was cool to kind of see it, like, there. You know, they keep it super simple. But, yeah, like you said, they use, like, the positioning, uh, like, the distance from the fire. They also have, like, those crosses kind of sit in a – at least with some of the guys that I was with and the ones I've seen, they sit in, like, a – basically a device that let, lets you adjust the angle. So like once you're given distance, you know, you could still in theory move it a little closer to what is actually they move like as the coals or like the wood breaks down and you get ashes and coals, they move those a little closer to the meat. So you do still have some indirect heat coming like from right kind of around the base of the meat. But there's also like that, you know, relatively big indirect heat source that's going to also be a bit further away in the big fire that they always have going. And that, and that, that's, that's the big thing, right? Is, is making sure that you have that fire going completely and then making sure you know exactly where it's at positioning that, that, uh, animal correctly. So it's not overcooking. And then it's also basting itself as it kind of goes down. Yeah. Cause as that fat renders up top, it's going to start slowly basting, you know, basting as it goes down. So right. You know, I never really thought about it in that way, but it's, it's totally true. I remember just like watching all the drippings coming off the limb and I'm like, Ooh, like get me a cup. Don't waste that. That's good juice. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's great juice. I mean, that's the, that's literally the best stock you'll ever make. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because it'll have that, it'll have that fire, it'll have that fire flavor in it also. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, the lamb, I was at this one place and it was like this farm and that was like in the super south, like of Patagonia. And it was the best lamb I've ever, like hands down, no questions asked. No lamb I've ever consumed has ever come close to it. And, like, I love lamb. It's one of my favorites. And this was, like, on another level. And, you know, back to, again, like, people trying to do too much sometimes. Like, this was literally lamb and salt cooked for four hours and then served with, like, you know, a couple little, like, chimichurris or halt salsas on the side and then, like, just straight up, like, roasted potatoes, simple roasted potatoes. And it was, like, you know, such a good meal. I, I mean, think like, the other yeah. hard thing that you have with what you're doing is, guys, there's no um, there's no thermometer. Exactly. So when you're cooking uh, on any smoker, most most cookers have a thermometer unless you're cooking on like a, a really, really old school kettle. Um, I don't know if the old school kettles have thermometers that some of them do. Some of them don't. Um, some of the uh, 18 inchers don't have them on it. Uh or uh, old PK grills don't have them. Um, and like with the old, I, I have an old PK grill and I think it's, it, it's fantastic. I love, I love cooking different things on it. Uh, 
I love the shape and the way that it kind of cooks, but you really are controlling off feeling the heat coming out of the vents and feeling, feeling that cooker when you open it and you're, you're going off more of a feel. And when you can start cooking that way, you bring your cooking level to a whole different level. Like it's just, it's different. You're starting to see stuff. You're, you're starting to see and tell things that most people wouldn't read. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I think like, it's bad because, like, you know, I don't cook with a thermometer very often. And, like, you know, it like for it leads to times where things aren't as perfect as I want. But I think, think for me, like, kind of like you hit on, like, I look at it as, like, practice and experiment and, like, learning. And, like, you know, I totally, like, appreciate having a thermometer when I'm on. Like, like I have an 18-inch kettle and, like, it doesn't have a thermometer. I'll break one out sometimes and take the temp of the meat. Um but like, yeah, for me, like you said, like a lot of times, like I'm cooking, it's kind of like feel and like, yeah, it's definitely totally hard. And I still have so much to learn as far as like, especially when you get into like cooking whole animals or bigger cuts of meat, right? Like it's one thing to like, you know, just cook a steak or cook like, you know, a couple like lamb chops or whatever. But it's another thing when you start getting into like a leg of lamb or, you know, a whole shoulder or something like that or, you know, sure, at the end of the day. Animals, you know, you start doing whole animals. It the hard thing about doing whole animals, and what most people don't think about when you're doing whole animals is each part cooks differently. The loins are going to cook differently than the ribs are going to cook at that point. The shoulders take a little bit longer to break down because they have more connective tissues, and Mm -hmm. you have to cook it all. And have it be ready at the same time. You don't want to overcook a certain part. So sometimes you have to protect certain parts from overcooking. Yeah. And to- and like just like you said, like that that's I think that's totally right. And that's like a it's true. It's and like right, that's why it's so hard to do that sort of cooking. Um and it's funny because you mentioned that and like I'm thinking now to back when I was down there and they were doing these whole lamb and they do basically you get two hours with like the rib cage facing the fire and then two hours with the, you know, rib cage facing away from the fire. So kind of like you're, you're talking about, right? Like, cause they're trying to protect, they're, they're trying to cook that rib cage. They're trying to cook all those ribs and make them nice and give them good color. And then they're, they're turning it around so that it starts to protect itself so that they don't also doesn't overcook. Yeah, exactly. And then the temperature on the other side is also completely different. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if they're using like baffles to hold anything, you know, hold heat towards it, it's still going to be a dramatic difference. Oh, and I yeah. Mean, like it's going to be like 50 to 60 degrees dramatic difference. Yeah. No, I, I I believe that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the difference of being right in front of some coals or other indirect sources of heat and being like, you know, away from them in an environment where you have wind blowing at like 30 miles an hour pretty consistently. Exactly. And if you have wind blowing, that's going to change. Yeah, right. Totally. Change a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'll never forget one time I was doing like something on the green egg with my dad when I was in high school for the first time. And it was like, we left it on there. And he's like, hey, Ben, go check on that thing. Uh, it was, I think it was like a brisket. And I go out and the wind direction had like changed. And all of a sudden the grill was like 50 degrees hotter than it was supposed to be. Well, I mean, you think about it, if, if you start stoking that fire and the wind direction changes and it starts going through the grate 
and you leave the you know you leave that bottom grate open the way that it was, you're going to be stoking a fire a lot more than if you closed it down, right? Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's that's a hard one, you know. And then when you're cooking open open pit cooking, which I do a little bit of open pit cooking, and I I love open pit cooking. I think it's one of the most fun things you can do. It it's learning. It's really you are connecting with the flame and the food that you are cooking, and you are a hundred percent attentive the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, I exactly. I think that's one of the things that turns people off a lot. But I think for me, like that's one of the things I love about it is like, you know, like you said, the feeling it, but also like the process, right? Like being around there and stoking things or flipping them around or whatever it is. And let me ask you this question: When you were down there, because I think this is it's a very, it's a very interesting thing. Um, when you were down there, what kind of seasonings were they using? Were they going super basic, or were they trying to reinvent the wheel? So honestly, the mo- most of the places that I had food at, like as far as like the lamb goes, like it's they keep it super basic, like salt. But the beauty's in, at least from my perspective, the beauty's in the like the chimichurris or this different you know types of salsas that you could put that they kind of have sitting on the table and intend for you to to put on the meat um but traditionally like down there it was very it's kind of just salt literally salt and then they probably put a little you know they'll put a little pepper on it afterwards but there are places that do just salt and then you know they give you though these like delicious delicious like you know um chimichurris that have like great olive oils and sources of, you know, acid sometimes, sometimes not, but like a a bunch of great herbs and usually some heat. Uh, But yeah, it was, it's, I think the way they look at it down there is like, we're going to take this one ingredient and we're going to cook it perfectly and show you like without doing a lot of stuff, just how good this single thing like alone can taste. Exactly. It's making sure that that product or that animal is really the highlight of the dish, right? We're we're yeah. adding flavors to it to enhance it, but we're not trying to mask it. And I think for a very long time in cooking in in cooking in in general in the United States, um, a lot of people tried masking shit because they didn't yeah. know how to cook it. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, like, I, they just didn't. Yep. No, I think that's true. I do think, though, like, right, there's also, like, I don't do, like, you know, I don't do a ton of, like, you know, briskets or, like, super heavily seasoned, like, ribs and that sort of stuff, like, dry rub ribs, which, you know, these are all things that, like, I want to get into. I think for me, like, as someone that's, you know, just like 25 and still learning a lot more about cooking. I like, you know, I, I try to take it all in, but there's also a huge beauty and element of difficulty and also being able to effectively cook, like create these beautiful dry rubs and put them on meats and make that taste super good as well, which, you know, that's something that like, for me, I think like I don't do as much of, but I totally have like the, the appreciation for that. I think that's also a super cool technique. And I think, I think that is something that's, that, that is very needed. Um, going back to kind of like the history of barbecue and, and this is something that I touch upon a lot is that the history of barbecue, man, it, it was, it was poor quality cuts of meat that, you know, people cooked 
at low temperatures for long periods of time to break down that con- connective tissues so that those those pieces of meat were edible. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it's so that they were edible. And what people don't understand is, is meat's gotten a lot better. Um, and yes, you can still take a, a low quality brisket and make it, make it delicious, but a lot of people aren't cooking shitty low quality briskets anymore. They're cooking, <laughs> um, you know, they're cooking Wagyu briskets and they're cooking prime briskets and those briskets cook differently because the fat, there's, there's more fat content inside of them than there is in the less quality meat. So they're going to cook faster. They're going to cook down a little bit faster. And if you cook them the exact same way as you cook a, a, a lower grade of meat, basically what you're going to, you're going to dry them out more and they're going to be more shoe leathery. Oh, that's interesting. It's I like, never knew that. I mean, it makes sense now that you say it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think about how big of an impact that would have on the actual. It can, I mean, I can finish a Wagyu brisket in seven hours, wow. seven to eight hours. Yes. How good is that thing? I need to, uh, I, that just sounds like. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But that, that's if I'm going a hot and fast method on my mixin. If I'm going hot and fast, I can do it in seven hours. Now I normally don't. Normally I like to go, normally I like to go about 10 hours. Okay. And that's, that's where my comfort level is. Yeah, that's where I'm. I'm comfortable into where my my fat's rendering properly for me. I'm I'm more happier with my product. Um, that's that's where I am super comfortable. Now, when when people, I, I'm sure they're like, well, what are you cooking at? I'm usually cooking two twenty five, or I'm sorry, two fifty two seventy five. That's that's. I used to be a really big two hundred two twenty five guy. I bumped it up since then. Um, I just, I, I find my product comes out almost the exact same, Mm. if not a little bit better because the cuts of meat are a little bit higher in quality. So they can take that heat a little bit differently. I still get that great bark. I still get that great smoke flavor. I also do put most of my meat on my cooker as cold as possible. Reason being that I do that is that gives me the longest possible time to get smoke penetration what some people don't understand in into the science of meat is meat only takes smoke until a certain temperature and then it stops it takes color and smoke everything after that you're just cooking all you're doing is it's a heat source you're not adding smoke flavor you can over smoke a little bit if it's dirty smoke but you're never adding you're never going to penetrate smoke any further once it reach it, once once the meat gets over a certain temperature, that's fascinating. I never knew that, and it's funny because like I don't know. I think at least like for me and a lot of my friends and you know a lot of the people I know who cook, it's like everyone. Yeah, and I and this is like not in the smoke. I'm thinking not so much in the smoking world, but it's like oh, you want that meat to come to room temperature before you cook it. You know, Fuck everyone me. always talks about that, but it's no. interesting. Uh, there's a clear reason for you know. I am such not a component of that. I <laughs> love it. Dude, I will throw a pork shoulder on my cooker damn near frozen and I will get a better product than most people do 
all just all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think like, would you say that that's mostly true for like slow cooking? Because I feel like yeah, for slow cooking, there's a clear reason. You know, if you're trying to sear something hot and keep it like yeah, hot d- cook, if you're going hot and fast, if you're searing, yeah, no, don't do that. You'll you'll <laughs> burn no, the outside, bad. and then the inside will still be frozen. But if you're doing something like shit, yeah, like a pork shoulder, a brisket, um, ribs, ribs not so much because they're still a little bit thinner. Uh, I like my ribs a little bit flexible when I put them on, but I like them cold. I don't like them to have. I don't like them to be like room temperature. That's not something I'm going for. Uh, same thing with my chicken. Um, I like it to be a little bit colder. Uh, and when I mean colder, I mean like refrigeration cold. It doesn't have to be frozen or anything like that. But it came out of the refrigerator. It went straight on the cooker, and that's where it went. Um, I, I season it and I put it on. And I, I'm not a. I I, I don't know. If some people say, you know, I season it, let that, let it pull the water out. I will season it and then let it like I'll season it and then I'll put it in the refrigerator so that it pulls the water out, but it stays colder. Does that make sense? Yep. No, no, no. That, that does make sense. That's a, you know, it's all super, it's a super interesting thing that like, I think, you know, I've never thought about. It's just man, it's it's there's so many little things that we think about now. I'm gonna have to try it. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try that actually. Like next time I get the the big green egg going, or I'm cooking something that's pretty big. I mean, yeah. on the wet, on like a little kettle, when I like, you know, cook things low and slow for a while, I think yeah. that sometimes that things, you know, it doesn't have enough firepower because you know you want to leave space for, you know. You don't want to have coals all over the place, so it exactly, can be hard. Yeah. Well, you're you're starting to fight with real estate at that. Yeah, point. exactly right. You know what I mean? You're starting to fight with real estate, and that's the hard part about it. Is is the real estate of where your where your fire is going to be coming from, and where where your product is being placed? Right? No, totally, entirely. But I don't know. There's something about that wet those kettle grills that I just I love them. They're super versatile. Oh I yeah, think, right, like. If, for someone that's like not doing a ton of like hardcore smoking, um, but, but if you look at it, man, if like, you can learn to smoke on a kettle, exactly, which is kind of where what I've been like that smoke been, on anything, to, you know, to, for experimentation and in, in at least my backyard is the yep. is the old kettle, good old faithful. Yep, yep. No, but if you can learn to smoke on that thing, dude, you'll smoke on anything fantastically. You know what I mean? Because you'll understand the principle of of, of fire management. And, and all that kind of all, all all the things that go into it, right? And that's that is a I, I think that's a very important important part of it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think also like that's one of the the hardest parts too, right? Is you know keeping that fire where you want it. And yep, fire management super hard. Exactly. That's that's why people are that's why people who truly master it are called pit masters, and. Um, it, it, it really is. It, it's it, it's a mass. It's a thing that takes it takes years. Um, yeah. I've been cooking. I, I've probably been cooking for a little bit over fifteen years now, and it's just starting to like everything kind of just clicks. It's starting to click for me, and uh, I have a couple friends that are starting to get into cooking, and they're starting to learn, and they're starting to do that stuff. And it, it's sometimes it's hard to teach. It's hard to say, like, listen, 
just do it. Like, just let, just <laughs> let it go into it. And like, that goes back to where we were, you know, talking about earlier. It's so funny to me that people nowadays are like, well, I'm, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of failure. I'm scared of that. But they're the biggest fucking food critics on the face of this planet. But the motherfucker can't make mac and cheese, craft mac and cheese from a blue box to save his life. But he will tell you that your homemade, perfect, you know, artisan cheese, mac and cheese, eh, it, it's okay. What do you mean it's okay? You didn't fucking slave over this. <laughs> or, like, you know what I mean? Or you you yeah, make no. a, a badass fucking pork shoulder and you make some badass pulled pork and they're like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Can you make no, pulled pork? Right. No. Okay, then shut up. <laughs> Eat it. Yeah, no, trust me, I get that, and I know kind of that feeling, and I think one of the things for me also is, like, I also try to think about those people, I'm like, you know, part of, like, part of, like, the way I cook is, like, I cook for how I like to eat, and, you know, the other night on Instagram, I was, like, posting about, like, some, I was making some roasted vegetables, and I was like, for me, they were the perfect level of cooked, like, of crispiness, but I think a lot of times, like, the way I cook things, you know, some people might be like, ooh, is that, like, too crispy or is that, like, charred or overcooked or, you know, if I put that in front of someone, like, sometimes some, you know, I'm always nervous someone might be like, oh, what, what? And it's like, no, it's like, that's called char and it tastes good. Um, but, like, yeah, like, I try to, like, think about, like, when I cook, it's like I cook a specific style of cooking and, like, I also try to, like, not get too frustrated sometimes when, like, people, like, if they don't like something or I'm like, I'm like, you know, this is how I like to cook, you know, if you don't like it. So, yeah. I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. Don't like my food. Don't eat it. Yeah. But you also didn't need, you don't need to like, you know, preach about why you don't like it or fortunately, like, I think, you know, probably because I cook at like a level right now that's like really for like myself and my friends and like, you know, I do do it as kind of like a business, like, but at the same time, I'm not at a level where, um, I'm cooking so much where I'm putting my food in front of like tons of people that I have no clue who they are. So, you know, I haven't totally had to go through like the, you know, asshole critiquing it for, you know, some outrageous reason. I mean, you know, it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, trust me. I'm preparing. I'm preparing for it. You're mentally preparing for it. Yeah, as much as I possibly probably can, but you you never you never I I just take the Andrew I I think uh, I'm sorry I take the Anthony Bourdain um outlook on it so that's just me sorry yeah. um what's the Anthony Bourdain outlook on you, you've it? You've never heard okay so no people like uh, there was a um a question they were like Anthony Bourdain they're like what do you think of Yelp he goes fuck him yeah I love it. Like that's yeah. just, that that like, that's my that's my reply. And don't get me wrong, Yelp can be a great thing, and Yelp can be Yelp can be a, a, an amazing tool. But at the same time, it's giving people the power to destroy people. Yeah, behind a keyboard. Yeah, and I I think there's probably some people that have maybe like more like maybe come from a meaner place and they write those messages. But I also think like it kind of reflects like you know. Just maybe like one, like maybe a mass perspective or, you know, it's a mass perspective, but like what you're doing, like, you know, 
maybe the masses, it's not for the masses. It's for like certain select groups of people that get in their opinions, get watered down or, you know, when there's a whole bunch of reviews or something. But yeah, like I agree. Like I kind of think like I feel very confident. Like when I feel like, you know, if I screw something up, I'm like, eh, this is not right. But when I feel confident in something, I feel I'm like, you know, this is perfect. This is how I want it. And like if someone doesn't like it, like that's like that's fine. Like they can they're entitled to, you know, do it their way. But I think like part of cooking, right, is like everyone's kind of got their own style. And it's a little bit about like teaching people like, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I I just think it's funny when like, you know, I own a catering company. I I do cook for for uh, lots of people and I put my heart and soul into it. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I don't cut corners. I make sure that everything is is the right way of cooking it and making it proper and, and making sure that I'm giving the best product that I can possibly give and product that I would want to eat. You know what I mean? And yeah. then it's just sometimes it's difficult when people are like, you know, it's uh, I, I, I can make a better brisket in my backyard. Can you? Awesome. Yeah, well, here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to go home and I want you to make 30 of them. Yeah. What, what, no, 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 no. And I want you to cook everything else that you see all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, I think for me also, like, like you're starting to hit on too, like there's a whole skill, you know, around catering and cooking like huge quantities of food and, you know, and cooking like the element of like timing things and making shit like, you know, that's still that's like a, a super hard skill, right? Like it's one thing to be able to cook a piece of meat really well. It's another thing to be able to cook, you know, thirty pieces of meat really well. In addition to, you know, getting the cornbread cooked, getting the coleslaw made, getting all that stuff, and then having it, you know, ready to be served, you know, at the same time or to, you know, twenty different people, you know, at once, and then another twenty later, whatever it is. But yeah, that whole timing and the you know map you know larger management of cooking's like you know that's a whole other skill set that I've kind of you know just haven't even I mean if we're talking thirty briskets I'm nowhere close to that I think like you know sometimes I still work on when I'm cooking like seven or eight things at once and trying to just get them out on time and cook properly man sometimes you know it it sometimes it's a hard thing uh, we we've cooked events for for four hundred people you know what I mean you're cooking a lot. It, it's just it is it is what it is, um, and and I think sometimes people don't realize that that it's not that it gets watered down, but it's we have to cook a certain way so that we can produce the amount of of product that we are producing, right? And not to mention when you cook at home, it it's. I'm cooking one brisket or I'm cooking one pork shoulder. I'm cooking three racks of ribs. We're wrapping them. We're, we're, we're wrapping them. We pull them out and we eat right away. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it sitting or, you know, what you I mean? know like tra- there's transport. no transfer time. There's no, there's no point A to point B time when we're catering or we're eating on site or something like, yep. Like I just did a big cook for a crew like that I'm friends with that was going up to ski and, they wanted a bunch of beef bourguignon, and so, like, I made, you know, an absolute shitload of it. And as I'm making it, I'm thinking, like, damn, like, you know, I was like, they're going to bring this up. They're going to reheat it. So I ended up kind of, like, undercooking some of the vegetables a little bit, like, you know, knowing that 
but that's like knowing that they were going to reheat it and probably cook it for a little longer and they'd get, I didn't want them to be too overcooked. But it was the first time I'd really had to think about that. And that's for like a single thing. So, right? Like, obviously, at a bigger scale with way more stuff going on, it's going to be. It starts to get a little bit crazier. Or when you're when you're at a restaurant and you're serving, yeah. especially when you when you start talking barbecue, it, it's not one of those things like you can't be like, "Hey, dude, I I, I need another rack of ribs. Give me 15 minutes." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, dude, no, these, no. these are four hours long. We're we're out of ribs. Sorry. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, that whole like right learning how to like manage the menu and like plan for your you know plan for quantities and anticipate. And all that, like, it's a lot. It's cr- and then I'm sure like someone's all pissy because there's no more ribs, and it's like, hey, sorry, we didn't know that there were you know 200 people coming in to eat ribs today. Hey, you know what? But the thing is, like, when we're sold out, we're sold out. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, we cook. It is what it is. Like, we cook the most that we possibly can for you, so that we can keep it the freshest. Yeah, and then. As soon as we're sold out, like, man, sorry, try hitting something else on the menu. Yeah. It's all fucking great, I promise. Right? <laughs> so, I guess, yeah, what's your, you have a rest, do you have a restaurant in Chicago? We don't, we don't have a restaurant, we're, we're, we are a catering company, so we cook on site, we do some fun stuff. Um, the, the, uh, the end goal is to get a restaurant, but um, restaurants are expensive, and uh, my hat's off to anyone that owns a restaurant, and... Uh, all that stuff, we just don't have – we didn't have the startup capital. You know what yeah. I mean? And uh, so so we're doing it a little bit different of a route. Yeah. No, I mean I think it's funny though. Like – well, not funny, but I think it's interesting that's the route you're taking because I think like that's one like that happens a lot. Like I know of a lot of like random – like I don't know if you've ever heard of Trudy's Underground Barbecue, but you know someone told me about these guys and it's like – you know it was like a similar thing where they – I think they like – they just started out like in a kitchen – or something and uh, or like in their backyard and then next thing you know they think they were doing like they maybe had a restaurant or maybe they do started doing catering on a bit more of like a larger scale but you get like kind of the point right like it's like it's interesting i've i feel like i've seen a few things with barbecue that like do that you know catering and then eventually like morph into the restaurant because yeah like you said it's way more you know it's it's a lot less capital intensive man restaurants are expensive they yeah. really are, and uh, so are smokers. It's commitment, right? Like, if you're doing a restaurant, you're like, okay, I'm like, this is it. Like, we're lowering our shoulders, and we're we're doing this. Like, you know, you can't – like, there's no half-ass in it. Like, not like there is with catering either, but I think with catering, right, like, you at least have a little – you can, you know, be a little bit more flexible without, like – Oh, we'll take these clients on here or there. Yeah, yeah. you start it's, – it's not the everyday grind. Um, it is, but it isn't. Uh, we do. We also do pop ups, which are a lot of fun. We we work That's... with a couple. We work with a couple different breweries around the Chicagoland area, and uh, we pop up and you know we'll serve for three to four hours uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, and it it it's been just it's been amazing at um, how much love we've gotten from the from the community and how much love we get from people that come out. And they're like, dude, I've been waiting for you guys to come back for a month and a half. <laughs> and it's I like, it. dude, awesome. And we never do the same menu twice. So um, that's one of the cool things that we kind of do is we don't do the same menus. Um, the only staple that we actually kind of really do 
do leave on our menu is our actual mac and cheese, which is kind of weird. I know we're a barbecue company, um, but our our smoked mac and cheese is the only staple. And the only reason uh, we say it's our staple is because people literally will come up and they're like, can I get more of that? I love it. And it makes sense. I mean, yeah, mac and cheese though, right? I feel like that's like a barbecue staple. All barbecue joints have to have like – some shot at a good mac and cheese. We do a, we do a kick ass mac and cheese and so um, smoked mac and cheese. Is that what you said? It's a smoked mac and cheese. So think about you know when people like they're like oh it's my baked mac and cheese. Well instead of baking it we smoke it. You know what okay. I mean? And it it infuses a little bit of that smoke flavor into it, but it also creates a little bit of a crust on top. Um, okay. And then when we pull that mac and cheese, what we actually do right before serving it is uh, we put a little bit of of a cheese it crumble on top of it, um, which kind of uh, adds adds a little bit of a crunch right like at that it. end. It, it, it's it's phenomenal. It's not some people will put pankos at, you know panko crumbs on it or whatever, and that'll do very similar. But I find the cheese it is just like because it's a cracker, it, it gives a different le- like a different layer. Yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's like a little more substantial than like exactly, a little yeah. flank. Right? Exactly, it's a little bit more substantial. So then people are like, what is that? Like, that's interesting to my palate. And it kind of just gives a little bit more just, you know, it, it, like people just dog. love it. <laughs> yeah, because right, it's also like that's got like some cheese flavor. It does, yeah. Like, you know, panko, which is just going to have, like, kind of... Just that, yeah. Do you, no, is no it a top-secret recipe, or what do you use for cheeses? I'd be interested. Um, we, it, it's a little bit of a secret recipe. I can tell you a little bit more off-air. Um, it, it, it has it has three different cheeses inside of it. It is the most unhealthy recipe you will ever have in your entire life. Um, we don't cut corners. We use heavy whipping cream. We use real butter. Uh, Love you know, it. You love know what it. I mean? Like all well, those things. That's the thing though, right? Like there's a reason why people love that. Like you're using – sure, like it's gluttonous, but like you're using real ingredients. You're not cutting corners. Like I don't know. I think that's one of the things with food generally that like I'm starting to just kind of learn about more too. Like and you know thinking about where like my food comes from and stuff and where it's like you know having good stuff or like real ingredients like can totally make a huge difference in the way your food tastes. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know what? The thing is, like, people are like, why does my food taste differently than the food at this blah, blah, blah that I cook? And it's like, dude, because they use butter. They use real butter. They don't They don't try to cut corners. They use real butter. They use real olive oil. They, they, they don't cut those corners. And when you're trying to not use salt, they are. And yeah. for so long, I think it was for, for so long, people were like, man – the steaks that I get at home just aren't as good as steakhouse steaks. That's why I go out. And it's like, well, what are you looking for in a steak? Well, I'm looking for it to have the least amount of fat. At, you know, it's like, no, 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 you want fat. You want, you know, you want that stuff in there because that's where the flavor comes from. Yep. The marbling, yeah. that's where the flavor comes from. Exactly. I know. I think it's funny, like, growing up, like, you know, my dad loves to cook big chunks of meat and, like, I think, you know, my mom was, my mom's a physician, so she also kind of probably keeps an eye on him and like growing up, like, you know, he always, like for him, it was always strip steaks, um, which, you know, like in the scheme of things, they still have some fat in them and like lots of good flavor, but like, you know, nothing like a ribeye. 
And I remember the first time I had a ribeye, and I was like, whoa, whoa, this is on another level. Because it starts to become a whole different game, you know what I mean? The flavor yep. is different. It's there. It's it. It's just it. It's it's a whole different game. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it, it, like you hit it, it. Hit the nail on the head. And also, I think right when you have like fattier pieces of meat, you can get like more interesting like you know textures in the meat. Like for me, like ribeye, like that cap yep. steak, the little That's cap on heaven for me. The spinalis, that is the one of the best parts of the cow. Yeah, I'm, I love it. I once found, you know, I don't see them often, but I've seen a few times, like, I'm sure, you you know, I could probably find them somewhere if I tried to special order them or whatnot. But, you know, just in local places, like the cap steak, where they, like, literally just take the whole cap and then they, like, roll them up and they almost look like, li- like you know, like little fillets. So Costco's will do that. I know you guys have a store called BJ's up by you guys. Yeah. Um they might be able to make that for you. Um, if if you uh, can't, there are a number of beautiful places on the internet that I can recommend that can do it for you. Um, and they are very reasonably priced. They are not going to gouge you on shipping or anything like that. Um, one being Second City Prime does do that. Um, Crowd Cow does do that. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Casey Cattle Company does just the spinalysis or not, but, um, Patrick, if you're listening, you guys probably should, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, those three right there, those three are three fantastic, um, companies that actually will send it directly to your door. Um, good to know. And I, I've worked with all of them. They're fantastic humans. Uh, all their product is fantastic and it, it, it's, 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 Amazing. I think the first spinalis that I ever actually got was from Second City Prime. Um, the the head guy there, Chris, was like, dude, you got to try this. And I was like, what is this? He's like, it's the spinalis. It's, it's right, just the cap of that ribeye. He's like, man, you're just going to love it. He's like, just try it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, you don't have to tell me twice. It looks beautiful. Let's do it. Uh, and I love ribeyes. So, yeah, let's do it. So I tried it, and I was like, dude, you just got me hooked. I'm like, you got me hooked on it. Like, thanks a lot. And it, it's not the mo- most easiest thing to find, but I know Costco does do it. Um, and then a couple other places will do it. And they kind of sell it as a ribeye because people don't understand what the spinalis really is. Uh, so I think they're kind of in a way tricking people, but they're, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it an okay because it's a delicious cut. It, they're not really giving them something that's useless. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd argue too, right? If they're giving you per pound price of a ribeye on that thing, that's also, in my mind, a steal. Yeah. But exactly. That's so, pretty that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. They're good stuff. Yeah. They're, they're I mean, they're phenomenal. <laughs> Just phenomenal. And then if, if you guys are looking for any anything else to cook, uh, some of my favorite cuts are your hanger steaks. Um, I really love skirt steak. I think you can do a lot with it. Um, it's just, it's a fantastic cut. Skirt steak's a good one. I enjoy it. Skirt steak's phenomenal. I, for me, like sometimes like with, uh, do you ever, I know you do a lot of smoking. Do you ever like make, do you ever make like, you know, use those smoked meats for like tacos or interesting things like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love like skirt steak for me and tacos too. Like, I think that's a great one. We'll do smoked chicken tacos. Ooh, um, uh, we'll do smoke, you know, pulled pork tacos. Um, we'll do like, 
every once in a while when we have some, you know, brisket left over, we'll chop it up, do chopped brisket tacos. Um, we, yeah, I think it's funny. That's one of the things I love about tacos, right? It's kind of just you like you can do a, pretty much anything, right? Yeah, it's, it's tacos just a delivery vehicle, right? It's like you can kind of put whatever you want in it. It's just the vessel, like yeah, you know, <laughs> it's the vessel to deliver to my mouth, and it's fantastic. Exactly, and you right. can make it so quickly. I mean, like the other night we were all hanging out, and we were trying to figure out what to eat, and uh, my buddy is like literally raiding my fridge and he's like let's make fajitas boom and i'm like okay yep start pulling shit let's go and we just literally (laughs) that's the thing that i love about him right is like like you said just you know start like start grilling start doing whatever like you can with the taco right like you can cook up a bunch of stuff and like you're like okay i have all this stuff and now it's kind of like you know you, you just get to kind of combine them or it's like, you know, maybe you put a little thought into what you're making, but there's a lot of like, you know, you can make a bunch of different interesting things and then kind of make them even more interesting by kind of combining them and, and doing, you know, whatever tacos, fajitas. Exactly. And it's yeah. just so easy. Yeah. Oh, it's right. Like that. as much as I'm to be like, I love to do all these big cooks all the time. Like there's also all of us like love, you know, our time to just chill out too. And it's like nothing better than kind of, What's that, you know, quick, easy meal going to be? And tacos are often uh, one for me, too, especially because it's, like, you can make super good tacos with, like, not a lot. Like, I, for me, like, coming from Boston, right, I do a lot of seafood tacos, too, like, whether it's shrimp or nice pieces of fish. But yep. with those, it's, like, honestly, just putting a good slaw on top of that and maybe some sort of kind of aioli or little salsa, and it's you're, you're golden. Yep. And it's just, it's phenomenal. So, mm-hmm. man, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, chatting food and barbecue and all these all these fun things with us. I kind of wrapped the podcast up with this. You've been cooking for a little bit. If you had to go back to the beginning of your cooking career, and not saying that you do professionally or anything, but back to your cooking career, back to the beginning of it, what are three tips that you could give yourself to shorten your learning curve? Ooh, that's a good one. It's a great uh, question, right? Yeah, right. I think one of them would definitely be like, not, you know, don't be afraid to to ask questions. I think that's a big one. You know, if someone's talking about why they do something some way. Like, I think that's one. Um, I think another one is going to be, you know, go out there and like read and like find that sort of cooking that's interesting to you and 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 follow that too. Like, you know, if you have one interest in one type of cooking that's kind of really interesting to you and, you know, you're getting taught one thing or another thing and you're, you know, trying to stay on the straight and narrow, like, don't be afraid to go kind of look and look into that sort of style of cooking. And the third one, honestly, I think, uh, you know, maybe use a thermometer for me, could have, could have found a way in there and, uh, help me get a little quicker at learning cook times for meats and stuff like that and getting a better sense of how long it takes things to cook and, and whatnot, rather than trying to do it all by feel all the time, could have maybe helped me learn a little quicker, but I kind of like the, the spot I'm at now, at least. Hey, man, that's awesome. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with us. If you can do me one last favor, can you tell, tell, me, tell everyone and all of our listeners where they can follow you on the internet? Yeah, so everyone can follow me on uh, Instagram at Benny on DeBlock. So it's Benny on and then D-A-Block. 
because uh, we do a lot of crap and stuff on a nice big old wood butcher's block. Yeah, it's beautiful, uh, man. That thing is beautiful. Yeah, I know. It's uh, a buddy of mine that I live with had that, and it's, I mean, I love that thing. It's right. I got all, like, my cleaver and my fillet knives and stuff and the leather holsters. I've, like, nailed the holsters into the wood, so, like, they all just kind of, they, they're all right there. It's, like, pretty pretty perfect. I love that thing. The, the, but, those butcher yeah, blocks are beautiful. You can, you can find me. And we got, you know, we're also doing right now, it's cool, there's a YouTube channel. Uh, it's just, you know, if you search Ben Howard, uh, you'll be able to find it. And we have a trailer for a little short film that we've been working on. Uh, and then that short film should be coming out there, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks. And we'll have a lot of interesting, you know, good cooking over fire scenes. So Dude, uh, that's awesome. something we're checking out. Can't wait to can't wait to check it out. Make sure you uh, send us an e send us a text or email or whatever, and we'll we'll help you promote that. Yeah, I love it. No, one hundred percent. And again, really, thanks so much for having me on here. It's kind of been super great getting to hear a little bit about you know how you're doing things uh, out out in Chicago, and uh, you know it's been great to kind of be on here. So thanks again. Yeah, dude, absolutely. We'll have to have you back on. One hundred percent. Have a good one, buddy. Yep. Take care. Uh, I don't know if we're 